welcome back. This is the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am still Chris. I've thought about it, and yes, I am. Hey, if you want to talk to us, we would love to talk with you. There's all kinds of different ways to do that. Uh, we will give out our cell phone numbers at the end of this show. That's not true. <laughs> uh, you've got access to our email. That's the yamcastpod at gmail.com. We've also got social media things like Facebook, Instagram. Or you could just come to church and say hi to us and we'll get to know you. We'd love to see you. We have all kinds of fans. We love you. All right, here we go. Seriously, though, I have had people come up to me at Park Hills on like a holiday and say, are you like the Yamcast? You have not. I'm not joking. What? We have people that actually like want to know who we are. Because the only person that did that was when our new worship pastor came, their daughter came and said something to me. Oh, she was one, but there was, there've been others like Christmas this last year. Somebody came up and was like, where's the Yamcast guy? And that's wow. Weird, right? Yeah. We got a couple. Only okay. because I was on stage, and they're like, which one was he? And then I talked to him afterwards. So. Oh, nice. Kind of neat. All right. All right. So we're famous. We got a couple. Which uh, <laughs> we're not famous enough. So what's our call to action? So please, this week, comment on Facebook or Instagram on a post. Can I stop you? And we might have a sweet prize for you. Why in the world would you say please? It's a call to action. We are military leaders. <laughs> yeah. Engaging our audience. Do it. Do what we say right now. But yeah, we would love. To, we just want to interact. We want to interact more. So if we've got to put a nice little prize on it, yeah. we'll do it. So please interact with us. Let us know. We'll be having a few different posts going out this week. So just yeah, comment on them. I'm excited about that. And maybe we would have. And it says I would pick a winner. Maybe we would have a prize for everybody. Whoa. Maybe everybody wins. And then this is the week that we get like a, a million comments. And then I'm like, wait a second. So and everyone gets a sweet prize, mm-hmm. a picture of a cookie. Oh, because we're not going to give them a cookie. If it was a million people, it can't, That's true. we can't get a million That's cookies. True. It's very true. Not even sure there are a million cookies for sale in this world. So this week we are moving into Colossians chapter three. Yay. We are halfway there. Thanks for that. You're welcome. So really quick before we dive into three, I, I want to point this out. We said this in the beginning of the book. I feel like we need to repeat it right now. Colossians 1 and 2, if you could break that part down, it's basically this is what Christ has done for you. So if you remember all the things we've said, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is what he's all about. The transition sentence here, the very first verse of chapter three, shows us the rest of the book is our response then to what Jesus has done. So you've probably heard sermons through this section that we're about to dive into from here on out, because this is the part where Paul's telling people what to do, and that's really easy to preach. It is. So you're going to notice it's super practical, a lot of that kind of stuff. And the reason why there feels like it's a difference is Paul's already built the case in his mind of this is who Christ is and what he's done for us, and then this is how we then respond. Yep. So with that lead in, are you ready for the read through? Yeah. Let's go. Verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So as Chris already mentioned, this is a a token if-then statement. Yep. It is not do this regardless. 
but if this is actually true of you, then this is how you should live or this is what you should be doing. And it's really good to, that you also know the cost before you're signing up for what you're actually supposed to be doing. Jesus talks about that, counting the cost, knowing what is required of you. Um, and this cost is seeking heavenly things. So what you're saying is this is more than just saying a prayer so I can go to heaven. It is. My third grade self didn't know that. Right. But I now know that is, right. yeah, that is way more than just saving my soul from hell. It is more than that. Which is an incredibly important aspect of us being oh, yeah. saved from heaven or from hell to heaven, you know. <laughs> it's not just about the end. It's about all the journey through as well. If you understand who Christ is, chapters one and two, then you're going to live differently mm-hmm. Be in light of who he is. So let's start to talk about what that looks like. Yep. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So here he's, he's Paul is explaining a little bit more of like what that seeking, the things that are above, like what that actually means. So... It means setting your minds on on heavenly things, not earthly things. Remembering your, like this is like some examples of that would be like remembering your reward when things are getting hard on this mm-hmm. planet, focusing on the end destination rather than what is happening right now. Right. This is about our mindsets and not getting bogged down with earthly pleasures, earthly circumstances, whatever that might be. That also doesn't mean that you don't care at all about earthly things, but that we have placed earthly things in their correct place, not giving them too much weight or space in our lives. Absolutely. And especially with what we talked about last time or earlier on in the podcast, when we're talking about Gnosticism, they would have rejected physical mm-hmm. for the heavenly. And what Paul's saying is, no, based on what you've, you've known, you live in the earthly, but you need to set your minds on the things that are above. Yeah, they would actually like hurt themselves, like hurt their skin yeah. and whatnot because they thought it was so bad. Right. Yeah. Or remove themselves from earthly things altogether. Like that's asceticism, you know, mm-hmm. sitting on a pole for 20 years because you don't want to talk to anyone because you want to be close to God. And Paul's like, that's foolishness. You've missed the yes. point of what the Bible's all about. All right. Verse three, for you have died. That's encouraging. <laughs> it is, right? Super fun. Uh, if you understand what it is. Quite it a is. downer. Uh, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, I mean, he just keeps going a little bit further. I mean, he talked about in the beginning, like being raised with Christ, which means that we would have died, that your earthly body, passions, goals, whatever it might be has died. Mm -hmm. And when I'm saying earthly body, I'm meaning more your flesh, like the things that the earthly things that you would desire, that your flesh would desire. And now your life is hidden with Christ. So then that really means that everyone that sees us actually would see him rather than us. Right? Like... Um, it's hard to know where he might end and where we might begin because we are so hidden in him. Our yeah. lives are so hidden in, in Christ and what he's about. Kind of reminds me of the scripture in Matthew um, and a few other places where Jesus says, you know, you need to deny yourself, which mm-hmm. basically means die. Take up your cross, whatever God has for you. Not what you want, but whatever God has for you and follow you. So what you want is technically dead. It is about what God wants, which can really sound like he doesn't care what I want or it could sound uh, slightly rude or um, whatever you might say negative about how that could sound to you. But if, as we talked about, if you look at what we've read in chapters one and two and you understand who Jesus is and what God has done and what Jesus has done, then this is what you owe him out of like gratitude, out of surrender, not a, a servitude of 
I have to do this sort of a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, and to add to that, the, what he's also saying is Christ died for you because it was best for you. So now all he wants for you is what's best for you. And so we even are learning how to trust him. Mm-hmm. So when he says things like, don't do this or don't do that, we get upset. Like, I can't believe you're t- t- rules, t- taking this away from me. It's really what is best for you. You know, it. I've used this illustration years and years and years now that I have kids. You know, if my kids woke up and were like, we're going to go play in the street, dad. And I'm like, no, don't go play in the street. They're like, I hate your rules. You're so mean to us. <laughs> and then they go play in the street and they, you know, get hit by a car or something. I'm not going to stand there and be like, oh, told you. <laughs> you see why I didn't yeah. want you playing in the street? But at the same time, there is a part of my heart that's saying, I knew what was best for you and you're choosing to disobey me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I hate you or I don't want you to experience playing in the street. I just, there's, there's a way that you're made and there's something for you that makes the most sense. And I'm trying to lead you to that. And that's what Jesus is doing. So instead of back to asceticism, taking all the things out of our life, it's more that you have a better view of how to live life with the mindset of having Christ as your center. Mm-hmm. Totally different idea, and I hope that that's what you're starting to see with the gospel here and what, what Colossians is pushing, is that we are living our life with Christ as the center, and so then we, we live differently. We, and we're not, you know, Christ isn't taking things away from us. He's asking us to live what's best for us. Or, you know, your best life now is really what he's asking you to do mm-hmm. now. I don't mean that in a Joel Osteen sense, but I just mean mm-hmm. it in the... You know, the, the gospel sense. Yes. Oh, that's so good. All right, verse four. <laughs> <laughs> verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So yeah, when he returns, when he comes back, we will end up having our reward. I mean, that's basically what that yeah. is saying. And our reward will be to be with him in glory, like Absolutely. heaven. Yeah. Which sounds awesome. So if that sounds awesome, how are we going to live? And that's where verse five gets yeah. us started. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So yeah, these are those earthly indulgences, right? Like this is kind of what we talked about last, last time with the stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Like these are those earthly indulgences. And this is why we will have judgment. And God will release his anger because these things go against everything that he is about. Of course, we read these things and we're like, oh, yeah, those are bad things. Like, I'm totally not about those things. Those aren't in my life. I don't want them in my life. Because, yeah, when you just read them and you're like, sexual immorality, oh, I'm not about that. Impurity, I am so pure. You know, you you think that those things aren't what you actually are about. But then you actually kind of realize we actually desire a lot of these things uh-huh. and we want a lot of these things in our life and we may not even realize it. So there might be a few more in this next verse that kind of hit a little more closer to home. Yeah. He goes even further with the Colossians and says this in verse seven, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So yeah, I mean, we definitely have things that come out of our mouths that are not wholesome or kind or, you know, like these I feel like hit a little closer to home than some of the ones above where you're, you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely something that I struggle with of putting off that old self. Those things are unappropriate. Unappropriate. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what we're asked to do. We're, we're asked to put off the old self because it's technically died. Like it is dead with Christ. 
So then if we're, so, if we're to put that off, like what are we supposed to be putting on? If only Paul gave us a list. Yeah. If only he said, take all these things off and just left it there. But he doesn't. No. He then turns around and says this, verse 10. And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Yeah, almost as if we are continually learning what the new self is to be. Because we are continually learning what the creator is all about. What? Like it's just another also just graciousness of who God is that he doesn't just like, here's everything you need to do right now and throws it all at us. It's like a different page in a book, you know? And then he graciously is like, and here's a little bit more and here's a little bit more because I also know you can't handle if I give you too much. So like little by little, we are being made into his image. It's not just a right, right away thing. Right. And theologically speaking, so what that means is that at at the point of our understanding of Christ's and we, we accept his gift of salvation, we've been justified, meaning no longer are, are we guilty for what we've done. So we've, the, the price has been paid, you know, the, this, you know, the, the payment for our sin has been paid, penal substitutionary atonement, that whole thing is done. We also then are made sanctified, we're, we're made holy to the extent that we're able to enter God's presence and be with him. Mm-hmm. But then we also live a life of being sanctified where God is slowly changing us over into who we're supposed to be. So if, just think that through. It's, it's beautiful that God sort of sets it all up that we're right before him. And then he says, and I'm also going to teach you how to be right the rest of your life. That's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? So like if Mm -hmm. you accepted Christ and you died that moment, you are right before God. There's nothing you need to do. However, if you accept Christ and then you live 50 more years, 100 more years, that'd be be awesome. But if you live 100 more years, Mm -hmm. you get a chance to learn what it looks like to walk with God for that 100 years. And by the end of that 100 years, you should be a totally different person who's almost, you know, way more like Jesus than you were when you started. that cool? Yeah. And I... I think what you said in the beginning really leads into this next verse where you said like he makes you right and then starts to sanctify you more and more and more and more. Whereas I think what we do is we're like, you need to fix all this and then you can be welcomed into the family. Do you know what I mean? That's ridiculous. And so I think, and that is, I I think in some ways almost what he's hitting, hitting the, the nail on the head with verse 11 so verse 11, here there is not, here there, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Yeah, there's there's not race. Right. There's no hierarchy of that. Right. In God's family, there is not a master or slave in God's family. There's right. no rich, poor. And, and we see those as a hierarchy, like you're better if you are fill right. in the blank and He's like, that means nothing in God's family. Like, that's not what it's about. Right. Which we'll dive into just a little bit more in the next section, which is called <laughs> The Deeper Dive. James, like, made a weird face when I was doing that. That was good. So two things. Well, first one, theoretically speaking. Okay? So this is this is merely, like, theological and kind of heavy, heady and up there. But one way to think about this passage that we're looking at is that when God saved us through Christ, we are already citizens of heaven, which part of the reason why Paul wants you to think about the things that are above rather than the things that are here Mm. is because you're already there. 
And that has always been a mind blowing thing for a lot of students over the years and a lot of, you know, college students and everyone else over the years. Whenever I have this conversation with people, they just go, I have never thought of that before. But if you, once you accept Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You're, you're walking the streets of gold in the future. You just don't feel it right now. So what that means is then theoretically speaking, theologically speaking, you are now made of new stuff. You're made of, you're different than you were. Mm. Now your earthly body is, is no different than it was. And you're still going to struggle with some of the things you struggled with. And God's going to, you know, pull you along and guide you and teach you and lead you and all those beautiful things, you know, but I've had friends who accept Christ and have no desire for drugs or alcohol anymore. Because of their struggles before, they they ended, you know, they came to the end of themselves, and they accept Christ, and, and it's just like they are so new that they don't have any desire for any of that stuff. That's really cool. I've had other friends who came to Christ and struggled the rest of their life with yeah. that same thing. So we, you know, we get so caught up sometimes in like that person's not a Christian because they do this or they are that or you're made of new stuff. And so theoretically speaking, you just need to step outside of yourself for a minute and realize, whoa, 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 I was this. But now in Christ, I am justified. I am sanctified. I am, and I'm going to be continue to be sanctified until the day that I'm glorified. And until the day that I'm in brand new body, I already am that. I just need to think that way. So Paul's not calling us to anything crazy. He's saying, I fully understand what Christ has done for me. And because of that, it changes the way that I live, the way that I think, the way that I do things. Uh, I'm more surrendered to God than I was before. I'm more, you know, caught up in who God wants me to be because of that. So theoretically speaking or theologically speaking, there's an element there of you already are, Paul might say, so act like it. Mm -hmm. A little more practically speaking or, you know, boots on the ground type thing. That last verse there when he says there's this, there's there's neither this nor this nor this nor this nor this. There's there's so much going on in that verse uh, really throughout all of scripture. And it's, I mean, we don't have time to dig into every little piece of it. But even the first line there, there is no Greek and Jew. Well, if you're following the the trend of scripture that we've talked about, and we talked about this way back in the beginning of this podcast, we started talking about the fact that the the world rebelled against God and chose to do their own thing and have their own gods to run the show. And all of those nations, that's the word we would use there. They are the nations of the world. And so then the Bible has all these these comments of like, you're the nations and the nations are going to be saved. And one day the nations are going to come to the holy city. One day the nations are going to come to God. And when he's saying all that, the, all of that word nations is, is tied into the word Greek or the mm. word Gentile. Because uh, really the other word that you would use in Greek is ethnos, right? So eth, your, your ethnicity, your nation, the, the culture, the, the group of people that you call yourself, none of that matters in Christ because mm. Christ is the God that you are serving now. And so your culture disappears. And consequently, and this would be a little more controversial for some of the churches that Paul's talking to, it doesn't really matter that you were Jewish. Mm. That's dead too. And it's not that you don't still love the fact that you are, you know, I'm proud to be an American. No, uh, <laughs> which by the way, America didn't exist yet. Um, well, if you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, the continent was here, but the country the name the, of, con- yeah. the country didn't exist. Not till 1776. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Declaration of Independence. And if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, you need to go back to high school and uh, pay attention to service class again. All right, so, but... Where was I? Nations. So all of these (laughs) nations, they all have their own systems, their own whatever. And what Paul's saying is you are, that is the second or third part of who you are. You are no longer Mm. this. You are Christ's, which means 
not that you, it doesn't matter what nation you're belonging to, because like we, you know, we see Paul do this in Acts. He uses his Roman citizenship oh, yeah. for, for good purposes. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, if I go to another part of the world and I hold up my American passport, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm in Christ, you know, and I don't need this. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Because you need You, you your need passport. a passport to yeah. move around the country and, uh, you know, all, or countries, I should say. So this isn't saying that you just deny everything. It just means that I am a Christian first. I am a Christ follower first. And then my national affiliation is somewhere down there. But even that, I'm not using that to be better than someone else is kind of what, you're, yeah, what you were saying. Yeah. And what we end up doing is so much as humans is we size each other up based on these things. And what Paul does, and this is where it gets really practical, is he doesn't just say you're no longer a slave or you're no longer rich. What he's actually saying is the rich or the high, the lofty are lowering themselves to love those hmm. who are below and the slave understands that they are lofty in Christ. And so, like I said in the beginning of this book, this likely was being delivered at the same time that the book of Philemon was delivered, just this little letter. And the major argument of Philemon is a slave has run away and needs freedom. And Paul sort of pushes, pushes Philemon to say Onesimus deserves freedom, but he never says that. What he says is, I trust that you're going to do the right thing. That he was once a slave to you, but now he's going to be useful to you. He was once this, but now he's going to be this because he's in Christ. And what he's really telling Philemon is, I want you to step down underneath your slave and let your slave be a part of the family of God. Humble yourself. Because your slave understands himself now to be a son of God and he is with you in the upper parts. So the part of the reason why Christians do philanthropy and why Christians are so passionate about the unborn and why we're, you know, why we're so passionate about racial reconciliation and, and all these, like all of those things matter because we believe that in Christ, we are in the loftiest possible position we can be. And because of Christ, because Christ lowering himself to love us humans well, we are following that example. Mm-hmm. So to get really practical, that means that you are not better than anybody else. And if that's the first time you've heard that, I'm so sorry, but that's the, maybe the church's fault that we didn't teach you better. Uh, but the, the fact is, Christ is the great equalizer. And there's a lot of discussion out there right now about socialism, Marxism, you know, blah, 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 blah. Part of the reason why Marxism and Christianity will never totally get along is Marxism is saying you rebel against the class system because you as an individual are important and you deserve better. What Christ's Followers would say, Christians, and this is why we, we will never get along, is I am dead to Christ. Like, I'm dead in Christ. I've been made alive, brand new in him. And so I have all of the rights of the entire universe. I'm a son of God. I've been adopted into his family, which is important in, as an individual. It's important socially. It's important, all those things. But I'm choosing to deny all of those things about myself to love my neighbor. Mm. And if you can't see the difference in those two systems and why, that, why they don't like line up together— that's a problem. And if you're going to choose one versus the other, you know, I would prefer that you choose Christians or, or you know, following Christ, being a Christian, because if you're going to deny yourself, your, you know, what you're capable of, then you're going to be in a better place. And that's really the idea that, that Paul's shooting at here. So deeper dive. Sounds great. All right. Let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. I wish this podcast was practical so far. There's nothing practical. About I know it. you were starting to harp in on my Sorry, I know territory. I didn't even read your <laughs> list because I want to be surprised when you talk. But. No, that's okay. So as we, t- yeah, as we kind of talked about this, these next few podcasts in Colossians yep. are going to be far more practical. So I have a few more this week than I have in the past. 
And my first one is talking about the if-then statements that we see at the beginning of this um, of this portion of scripture. We get these statements in life all of the time. Right. If this is now true of you, then this is how you live, react, respond, etc. But for some reason, when it comes to Jesus or God or our relationship with him, we find these if-then statements to be unfair or stifling or just a list of rules instead of it actually simply making sense. In life, if you have a job, then you need to be there on time. You need to wear the correct attire. You need to do the job that you are paid to do. Otherwise, there are negative consequences. What? If you're a mother or a father, like you need to take care of your child. If you're a student, you got to get your work done. Like if you are blank, then you need to act like blank and whatever comes with that. And obviously, if you don't, negative consequences come your way. Like this is just how life works. Yeah. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. If you have chosen to follow him, and that's the thing, it's a choice. Right. It is very much a choice. He's not saying it is a if. So it is, it is a, it's a choice. Yeah. You get to choose what you're going to do. So if you choose to follow him, which means your life died with his, then you must live differently. But it's not just an outward expression. That's what he kind of talked about. It's your mindset. Your mindset should be on the things above, like you've talked about, your citizenship being in heaven, right. which then influences your outward expression. It has to start from the inside out. Otherwise, we call that hypocrisy or we call that being mm-hmm. fake or whatever that might be. So yeah. if-then statements are everywhere. So if you if you ever hear them and you're like, that just seems unfair, for one, you don't have to do that thing. I remember when I was going to university and we had the rules of you couldn't drink and people were like, how can they ask you to do that? I'm like, because you choose to go there. You don't have to go there. I was listening to somebody else who was talking about how they were going to go to a school and that school wouldn't let them dance. And they were like, I don't want to go here then. And you don't have to, it's a choice, right? It's the same thing with Jesus. If you don't like what he's about, which when you actually get to know Jesus, I don't know if I've known of anyone who doesn't like what he's about. They don't like what Christians sometimes are about, but If you don't like what he's about, then you don't have to choose to follow him. And then none of these things technically need to apply to you. But right. yeah, just that if-then statements, like they're everywhere in life. That's so good. I like it. So don't let them start to make you feel like you need to rage against the machine or you need to whatever it might be, you know. I don't have to be here on time. I don't, oh, need, I don't need this job. Then you'd get fired, go find right? Another, go find another one then. So another another one is the whole like taking off and putting on aspect. And yep. and if you read through the list of the old self and find yourself basically saying like I don't have a problem with those things, you you may be lying to yourself. Which is one of the things that he tells you not to do. First. <laughs> don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm lying to myself. But I think also a lot of the time, if we have been on this path with Jesus for a while, like our vices or our old self, it creeps in in very small unsuspecting ways and it usually has to do with our minds and it might not ever actually be seen by other people right it could be a negative thought we have about ourselves or judging someone based on what they say or how, how they say it or what they may be wearing it could be thinking negatively about, negatively about others and not extending grace as we should it could be about wanting our way far too often instead of allowing others to have theirs The longer we have been doing this walk with him, the easier it can be to hide our old self Mm -hmm. until we do something that can be hard to come back from, which means it's an outward thing that now people can see. Right. Um, So this is where we really got to be honest with ourselves, really allowing God to shine his light in our lives and opening us up. 
This can simply happen by asking him to show you areas of your life that need to change and then watching him reveal them. I remember often in in uh, sermons and things, people would be like, they'd be talking about the obvious sins of like drunkenness and sexual immorality. And then I'm sitting there going, well, check, check, check. I'm fine on those right. things. And it's like, that's, those aren't the things that most of us Christians struggle with. Most of us actually struggle with our minds and the things that go on in there. It's not necessarily outward things. They do sometimes show that way. Right. And then that's an inward problem that you've got to deal with. So, And I've never met somebody who's struggling with, with a really intense outward sin. You know, I've never had someone come to my office and say, you know, I've cheated on my wife. And they go, I just woke up this morning and I decided I'm going to cheat on my wife. Yeah. It, every single person I've ever talked to about that or any other sin, you know, typically it's like I really messed up at the bar and I, you know, I can't hide it anymore. And what ends up happening is they admit it was probably 20 years ago and I started thinking about this coworker of mine and then eventually this is what happened. Or I started thinking that my husband didn't love me and so then I started wandering mentally down this road. And so part of the reason why Paul's saying set your minds on things above is exactly what you're describing and also the fact that that's where all the sin starts. <laughs> you it know? does, yeah. It, 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 there's no other place for it to start and it goes there and then it slowly leaks its way into the rest of our life until it's an outward problem and then we're like, what am I doing? Yeah, it... It, I mean, they kind of call it a slippery slope or yep. whatnot. And I think when people do have those big outward ones, they do then look back and they're like, oh, I kind of see where it started. Yep. I stopped praying before bed with her. Right. I stopped whatever right. it might be. Um, and the good news is that outward sin is no worse than the inward sin. No. The problem is that it was all sin and it was all the same. So even that's sometimes freedom for people. They go, oh, okay, I can be forgiven. Yeah, of course you can. Of course. Like, let's get moving. Let's get moving in the right mm-hmm. direction. So my last one, and you touched on this a lot too, is just diving into that last verse where he says, like, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And we would all say that we're not racist or that everyone is welcome in God's family. And I kind of talked about this a little bit. Or that there isn't one way to worship God. But like when we really think about it, how often do we have the thought that it should look like this mm-hmm. or not look like that? Or when someone comes to church that maybe doesn't look how we think they should when they come to church, we automatically are like, what are they doing here? We automatically judge them. So when it really comes down to it, we do think that a follower of Christ is supposed to look a certain way. And usually that way is the American way. We, all, we very much think that being American and being Christian is synonymous, and it is not. It's very false. Christians can look many different skin colors, all of them, actually. They can wear many different things. They can worship in many different ways. They can, I mean, it, it does not look how we think it does. And that's been a lot of the problem when us Americans will go to other countries and try to evangelize is we want to make them look like we do. We want their churches to look like our churches. Right. We want them to worship like ours. They want we want their worship set to look exactly like this. And it's that's not that's not biblical. Yeah. So really just making sure that as I talked about before and as Chris talked about where it's it's Christ already made you right. And now God is going to change all these things in your life. Not like we make it where it's like, get yourself all polished up and then we'll welcome you in. Right. That is not what he is about. And one of the things that should define us the most as Christians is lowering ourselves. Yeah. And I don't know why that's not the case, 
but it just that's the, so what you just said infuriates me because it's Christians putting themselves on a pedestal. And yeah, and thinking we've else, got to figure it out. Everyone else coming to mm-hmm. that pedestal when Paul just said, the pedestals don't exist. Let those things go. Let's walk with Jesus together. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what your situation is. You know, so a biker comes in with a ton of tattoos and sits down with their Bible, and we're Welcome. like, I don't know what they're yeah. doing here. And that person might actually be more devoted to Christ than, right? than you are in your fancy suit on a Sunday morning with the I top, mean, it's that with a top hat. That ta- what is it? The tax collector and the totally. Who's the other one? That story where he, where the one poor, of them's just the poor the man. The poor man. Yeah. And one of them's like, oh, I just am thankful I'm not that person. Yeah. And yeah. Pharisee and the tax collector. Yes, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. I think it's time for the council corner with Erica. What do you guys think? Council corner with Erica. So this week, um, actually, I'm not really talking about things that have to do with this at all. I'm talking about something different. I'm kind of going back to that. That's fine. So I work in a field that is predominantly female. And what field is that, Erica? The teaching field. Okay, great. Not solely female, but predominantly Predominantly, female, especially elementary and early childhood. It is predominantly female in my at my job yep. and the amount of times that I have co- co-workers that come to me frustrated about management is like too many to count and my first response is always have you talked to them about it and often they say no and right. I and, and a lot of them don't plan on it and as women we do not advocate for ourselves well we have not really been taught to or when we have, we're kind of told that we need to stop. We just need to stop being emotional. Right. It's not that big of a deal. Or and granted, we might come in guns blazing and and crying or whatever that might be. But the reason we're coming in is not invalid because we're crying. Right. And sometimes I think that that's what ends up becoming instilled in us. And so then we think, oh, I just can't bring this to anybody because it's just me and my emotions. Mm-hmm. And I am here in Council Corner to tell you to never stop advocating for yourself. And you actually need to be the best at it because it's you. It's your life. So you really should be the best at advocating for yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that you become boastful and prideful, but that you actually can express what you are worth in a, in, in a very matter-of-fact way that doesn't have to sound arrogant or rude or undermining authority at all. So recently, this this coworker came to me and, and was frustrated with scheduling because she said, yes, I would do the early shift for this week. And then the, 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 um, our director put her on it for the next shift and I, and, or next week. And I just was like, just go talk to her. And all you have to do is say, can you just ask me next time before you do the schedule? And something super simple like that, like doesn't even – I mean, and that's not even – and I don't even think that – that the director would take it in a, in a bad way. Now, granted, usually our director kind of does a little bit of guilt tripping, but you have to just be okay with that too. Um, but I, off, I read a book a few years ago, which I'll probably pick up again, called Present Over Perfect. And they basically said, like, you need to put your foot down and say no, or they will walk all over you. You know, like, mm-hmm. you need to know what's good for you and speak those things. Otherwise, you're going to be frustrated forever and you're going to be annoyed always. So you do need to say things when you're frustrated. Now, granted, I usually do the two-day rule. If I'm still frustrated about this in two days, then I say something. I like that. Um, Because if I do it right then, it could even be that lots of different things. It could have been that I was hungry. It could have been that I was tired. It could have been (laughs) – I've learned that about myself, that I'm a very temperamental person. Erica's rage when she's hungry is legendary. Yep, ask ask Erin. Anyways, but but really, 
you need to talk with management because also they will then know that what you care about and what you don't care about. And granted, they might not care. And at least you know that you did your part and you know that you did what you could to make your role there the best that it could be. So, yeah, you need to speak up for yourself. You need to advocate for yourself um, and know what you what's good for you in your job and what maybe isn't. And I mean, we were talking about this before we even recorded, like staying in your lane. Like you don't need to take on 80 different roles at your job. Because you're probably not going to be good at any of them. Right. You're going to be mediocre. So knowing what's good for you, staying in your lane, but also advocating for yourself and um, and speaking up when you need to. I mean, I'm mediocre do it. at one thing. So I can't imagine having <laughs> oh my 80 gosh, things stop to do. That. But the, okay, I love that you're saying that. And it's so true. It's not just a woman thing. I mean, I know it's not just a woman I, thing, I but I would say it is predominantly a little more. I think advocating yeah. for yourself is difficult for anyone who's below management in any job. Now, I think some people are better spoken about it and typically men feel a little bit more confidence in that regard. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of push themselves. So I totally agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying, no matter where you're at, if you don't love what what's going on in your employment place, talk to them. And I will say as a manager, if you're going to go into management someday, one of the things you can do right now as a college student or young adult is learn empathy yes. and learn how to see people for humans. Yes. So when someone co- does come to you and they're advocating for themselves, you don't immediately assume they're trying to, you know, make you feel bad about yourself or they're not trying to, you know, belittle you or whatever. They they even might be emotional and that's okay to then walk them through that and love them enough to show them you're a human being. I appreciate you. I love what you're saying. You might even not even agree with what they're saying. You might show them a different but way. But validating them but and human. their thoughts. Treat them like a yes, human being. Yes. Stop acting like everyone's a cog in a huge machine. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So what So what I'm saying is I'm totally applauding what you're saying. I totally agree with the idea that we need to advocate for ourselves. Uh, and then it, now that I'm in management and, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, whether you want to call it upper level or whatever, I, I don't really buy into all that. <laughs> that hierarchy. Yeah. No, just kidding. Uh, but as a, as a manager, I've learned over the years that a lot of times when someone comes to me and has a problem with something I've done or something that they think the organization has done, more often than not, they just need to be heard first. Mm-hmm. And then when we start to walk it through and that we treat each other like human beings, it's beautiful what God ends up doing. And we they just come, want you to listen. We come to a compromise at a minimum or I have I have a chance to admit that I'm wrong and fix the problem, which would be awesome if more bosses did that. If they yeah. just stepped back and said... Yeah, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was coming across that way. Let's figure this out and let's do it together. So I I, I applaud it and I'm saying, you know, I didn't mean to turn this into the council corner with Chris, but <laughs> on the other end of it, if you're not in management or if you are in management, you can do just as much to help people feel comfortable coming yeah. to advocate for themselves. So do it. Mm-hmm. All righty. There's the AMCast. All right. See you later. Adios. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. Cast.